This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled Dagon versus God, and it comes from 1 Samuel 5, 1 through 12. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. There they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now, your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salary or managerial purposes, but 100% goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson in our study in 1 Samuel or even before that, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Again, that's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Or you can listen to us on iTunes by going to the podcast section and searching for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. As I said, we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel, and in chapter 1, we learned about the birth of Samuel and his mother, Hannah, how she couldn't have children. She wanted one so bad, we saw that she gave a vow to God that if he would just give her a son, that she would give him back to be raised and to serve him. And she did that, even though God never asked her to. And then in chapter 2, we learned about Eli's wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas. The Bible describes them as worthless, immoral, and corrupt priests. Now, their father was the high priest, and he came to rebuke them, but they didn't listen. And that rebuke was a little too late. He should have been doing it all along. Now, these two were making a mockery, or so they thought of God. So God sends an unnamed man, and he comes to Eli, and he says, You get your house in order, otherwise I'm going to cut the house of Eli off. And then in chapter 3, we saw Samuel is visited by God. He's called out to him, even though he didn't know his voice. There, God tells him about how he's about to spank Eli and his family for all the ungodly acts that's gone on, how they've stolen from him by taking the sacrifices and not following the way they should be done, how they were having sex with women at the gate of the temple, how they allowed the nation of Israel to worship other gods besides the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then last week, we saw that the Philistines and the nation of Israel are going to battle. We studied about the Philistines real quickly, how they came out of the island of the Greeks, and they were from the Crete island or the island of Crete. They were unlike other folks that the nation of Israel had battled. They had the ability to use iron, so they had swords, and they had even mesh coverings, and they had uh, shields, and they had armor that they wore that would protect them. And so they were a formidable opponent to the nation of Israel. And as they go to battle, their first battle they have, the nation of Israel loses. They lose 4,000 men. 
And they run back to their tents. And while they're there, they're saying, how could this be? How did God let us lose? Well, first of all, we looked at they never went to God. They never asked God if they should battle these guys or not. They left God out. But someone brings up the idea, hey, why don't we go get the Ark of the Covenant? Why don't we have it brought down from Shiloh? Why don't we have it right here with us? We can't lose. See, God is our lucky charm. They were using God as a lucky charm. You know, they had put God on the shelf, but now they needed him, so they were taking him off and with their lucky charm, the Ark, and that's what they were really saying. We need the Ark because the Ark represents God. And they were worshiping the ark. They weren't really worshiping God. But they bring the ark down. They go back in the battle and they do their second battle with the Philistines. Now, when the Philistines find out they had the ark with them, they, they tremble. And that's what the nation of Israel really hoped, that they would be scared and that they wouldn't really battle them, that they would just like give up. But that's not what happened. The Philistines did hear about the ark and they rallied and they said, we're going to have to fight like we never fought before because this is the same ark that was used to take down the Egyptians back when they were captive and the plagues, the many gods that they have. And we see that the Philistines were, again, pagan people and pagan people in that time believed that there were many gods. There was a God over everything and everything was given or taken by a God. And so anyhow, the Philistines go in and they kill 30,000 men. The nation of Israel loses 30,000 men. So that's 34,000 in total that they've lost. But not only did they lose 30,000 men in this battle, but they also lost Eli's two sons as were predicted. Hophni and Phinehas die the same day, just as God had said through that unnamed man. And then when Eli hears about it, he falls over backwards. He's very heavy. He's overweight because he's been eating the choice parts of the sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to, that was supposed to go to God. He's a very heavy set man. He falls over backwards. He breaks his neck and he dies. Now, when Eli's daughter-in-law hears all this, she gives birth. Hearing about the death of her father-in-law, her husband, and the devastating loss of the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines sends her into labor. And then we also see, as where we're picking up today, that the Philistines have this Ark. They've won the Ark because they've won this battle, this devastating loss that the Israelites have. They now have the Ark, and they take it back to their temple to put it up beside one of their chief gods. Now, they were pagans and they believed in many gods, but they're putting it up right next to one of their chief gods, which is called Dagon. And that's where we'll pick back up today. So turn with me to 1 Samuel 5 and we'll read the first two verses. I'll be reading out the ESV. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashtod. And then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashtod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him back up in his place. And we're going to stop right there after verse 3. So as I said, they've captured the ark and now they've taken it down to Ashtod where they have this temple for Dagon. Now, Dagon is their chief god. They have many gods, but Dagon is one of the chief gods. And historians tell us he was half man. He had the head of man. He had the arm of man. But from his waist down, he looked like a fish. So you could almost say that he was a mermaid. 
Again, this is one of their chief gods. Now, they were pagans and they were believed in multi-gods and that there were gods over the rain and there was God over the sun. And there was God over the fruits of the land. But Dagon, because they came out of the Isle of Crete, because they were people that have lived by the sea and they're there in the Gaza Strip by the sea, that their chief god was Dagon. And we see right here that they bring the Ark of the Covenant in and they treat it like a trophy. They're like, well, let's set this Ark of the Covenant. Let's treat the Israelites God and let's put him before our God, Dagon. Our God won, their God lost. And so they bring him into that temple and they set him right before Dagon. The next day they rose up early and they went into the temple and what they find, they found Dagon's fallen on his face and he's right before the Ark of the Lord. Now, let me just tell you how this plays out. They walk in and they go, Dagon. Now, you, surely you saw that coming, right? Dagon, how did this happen? Dagon had fallen in the middle of the night, whether God sent an angel or whether God did it himself, whatever was done, God had Dagon on the ground in a prostate form worshiping or looks like he's worshiping right before the Ark of the Covenant. This was a sign to the Philistines that their God was not superior. Their God was not the winner of this battle. You know, I'd ask the question, was God really captured in battle? See, God knew what was going to happen. God had a plan and we're going to see this plan roll out over the next several chapters. But God is sending a signal right here to the priest and the people that walk in and see Dagon laying down in a prostate form. And what do they do? They pick their God back up and they set him up. And there they walk back out. They shake that dust off their hands and they say, Dagon, let me just say this. If you have to pick your God up, if you have to set your God up, then I know for sure that I don't want to worship that God. I want a God that picks me up, that I don't have to pick him up. But anyhow, they believed in Dagon and they picked Dagon up and they set him back before the Ark of the Covenant. Now let's pick back up and see what happens next. In verse four, but when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face down on the ground before the Ark of the Lord and the head of Dagon and both his hands were laying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. And this is why the priest of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashtod to this day. So now the priests come back in again. And what happens this time? They find Dagon back on the ground again. Maybe the first time they said, oh, it was a coincidence. The wind came through and blew him over at night or something to that effect. But here the second day in a row, Dagon is laying on the ground. But this time, both the hands and the head only the torso of God was left. Imagine the horror of the Philistine priests when they entered the temple the second time and Dagon is back on the ground again. They not only saw that their God again was bowing down before the ark, before the Lord of the Israelites, they also saw that he was now broken. It was hard for them to account for such an accident two days in a row, such a coincidence that would happen two days in a row. And then what about the broken head and the hands of Dagon? And why would God do that? Why would God break the head and break the hands? God did this because the head represents wisdom. The hands represent strength. 
And God did this because he wants them to know that he is more powerful and he is all-knowing and he is greater than their God that they have. See, God is sending a message to them. He's telling them that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true and living God is greater than their God. He is wiser and mightier than their God. And how do they respond? They make a religious tradition because they don't want to have to explain what has happened. They don't want to have to explain about the hands and the head being on the threshold. So what do they do? Instead of admitting that something whether they believe in God or not, because they don't really know God. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Instead of believing that, believing the evidence that they've seen, they just make a tradition saying, okay, obviously the threshold is very powerful and it can break the hands and the head of our God. So therefore we will no longer step on the threshold. We'll step over it so we don't wind up being hurt. See, God had sent a message very plain and clear. Two days in a row, he sent a message. First, he sent their fall of their Dagon to say, I am stronger and you're going to worship me. I'm giving you an opportunity. But see, they thought because they owned God, because they captured God, because they had the God of the ark, that their God was bigger. So they said, no, this is just some coincidence. The next day, again, God sends a stronger message, but they still don't listen. After the second fall, they still don't listen. They don't listen or want to hear the message that God is sending. And you know what? Today is the same way. Today, there are people that God sends very strong messages to. God sends messages that are getting them to try to turn. But what do they do? They explain it as a coincidence. They explain it as something that just happens in life. And they don't want to point back to God. They don't want to accept God, even though the evidence is there. Our science today shows us about God and his authority and his evidence but yet they explain everything without God. My question to you is today, has God tried to send a message to you? Has he been talking to you and you're not listening? Are you just trying to pass it away under some religious rule that happens? Is God trying to speak to you directly because he wants a relationship with you and not just some religious tradition that these folks are going through, these pagans are going through? Well, because they will not bow, because they won't surrender, because they won't accept God for who he is, God sends more judgment. Look at it with me, starting in verse 6. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and his territories. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistine and said, What shall we do with this ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. And what happens there? But after that, they had brought it there, and the hand of the Lord was against that city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of that city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So then they sent the ark of God to Ekon. But as soon as they sent the ark to Ekon, the people of Ekon cried out, They have brought around us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us, to kill the people. 
They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send it away, the ark of the God of Israel, and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and the people. For there was a deadly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So what we see here is that because they have not listened to the message, because they've denied the message, the hand of the Lord was heavy against them. Now, if you look at a different translation besides the ESV, I want to look at two words, first terrified and afflicted. If you have the King James Version in your hand, it says that he destroyed them and smote them with emrods. In the New King James, it says that he ravaged them and he struck them with tumors. And the New American Version says that he made them feel devastated and he struck them with tumors. So again, what we see here is in verse 6, it says the Lord put a heavy hand on them. He struck the people with tumors, a plague of tumors. Now some folks ask if these tumors are cancer. Well, first of all, let me just say, if God put it on you, you don't want it. If it's a plague, as it says right here, you don't want it, whether it's a tumor of cancer or whatever it was. Now, if you look at the King James Version, again, I pointed, uh, I said a word there. It was an emrod. If you look at that word emrod, it is the same word that we get the word hemorrhoid from. So some commentators say that this is a plague of hemorrhoids that went through that God struck them in the end. Now, other commentators say that this is a bull and these were growths that came off of them. It wasn't cancer, but it was a growth that grew on them, just like the blue bonnet plague. And we'll see later next week when they want to get rid of this. At, at the very end, you notice that they come together and they want to get rid of this Ark of the Covenant. How do we get it rid of it? How do we get it back? What do we do? We've got to have a plan. And next week we're going to look at their plan. But one of the images that they create is of mice. And so there's a running of mice around, and so mice carried the blue bonnet plague. And so this is what some commentators say is this was the blue bonnet plague. And we also see the way it ends in verse 12. Look at it again. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to the heavens. So people were dying from whatever this was, and the ones that didn't die had the tumors anyhow. You know, unfortunately, the Philistines didn't want to give him up. So what do they do? They pass him from city to city to city. And because they're not willing to see him as an ultimate God, not some God beneath their God, not something that they can control, the plague follows them. The tumors follow them, whether it is hemorrhoids or whether it is bulls and whether it's the blue bonnet plague. It really doesn't matter. God sent an affliction and it followed the ark wherever it went. And this is because they won't answer the message. They won't believe in God. And people are the same way. Even though there's scientific evidence that points to God, people won't believe in it. And more than that, they're not reverent to God and who he is. Because of their irrelevance, God has sent this plague on them. They don't recognize the holiness of God. And the sad thing is they got it because the nation of Israel didn't know God either. They treated him like some lucky charm, like some rabbit's foot that they could pull him off the shelf whenever they needed him, whenever they needed strength, whenever they needed wisdom, whenever they needed knowledge, whatever they needed, they could just go grab it and use it. And so the Philistines are doing something similar, just a little different. They had the wrong access or they had the wrong idea of God as well. 
I think it's a little funny if you go back to chapter 4, when they heard about the Ark of the Covenant, they panicked. They panicked at the sound of the shouts that the Israelites had when the Ark came into their camp. So they understood the power of the Ark. They understood God and its power, but what they didn't understand is that God controlled the Ark. The Ark didn't control God. The other thing is the Philistines, I think, are starting to understand that God is creating some of this issue as the source of their problem or one of the sources of their problem, but they're not willing to accept it. They're not willing to fix whatever it is. And you know what? We have the same thing. We can make that same mistake. When something happens, when we have a wreck that happens in our life, and when I say wreck, I don't mean a car wreck. I mean just something bad happens in our life. We need to ask ourselves, is God trying to send a message? Am I not listening to the message? God sent tumors of the blue bonnet plague or hemorrhoids, whatever this is. He was causing those problems in the Philistines' life because they did not believe in him as the one true God. Because of their view of the power and they thought they could control it because they owned the ark and their God was bigger than his God, then they were having problems. There was death in their life. And when we allow sin, when we allow things that God doesn't accept and he has to discipline us over, when he has to spank us, it's because we've allowed that in. We've got to look at it and we also have to turn it over. And we also need to remember that the Bible even tells us the wages of sin is death. Now, again, I'm not saying as soon as you sin that you're going to die, God's not going to strike you dead. But what that sin will eventually do, it will lead to death. When we take something too far, it tends to lead to death. I think about an alcoholic, how as they go over and over and binge after binge, what happens? Their liver is slowly dying till eventually the alcoholism kills them. A drug addict has to have a little more drug and a little more drug and a little more drug to the point that they overdose and it kills them. Their body can't take it. And what I'm trying to tell you, I don't know what sin you're in, that God is trying to send a message, how you're disrespecting him just like the Philistines did. But God is knocking on some hearts today and he's saying, I'm sending you a message, wake up. He's saying, wake up. I am the one true God. Turn back to me. What is it today that God is trying to wake you up from before that sin leads to the wages of death? Sadly, there are some that it will take God knocking them flat on their back before they repent, before they confess and they admit and they ask for forgiveness. And what we see right here in verse 12 is that the Philistines finally realized that their problem were from God, but they never repented. They're just going to try to send the ark away. You know, they got God and they try to get it as far away from them. So they don't want to give it up. So they send it to another city. And then that city realizes the problem and that problem happens to them. So they send it to another one. They are choosing sin. They are accepting the problems in their life. You know what? Sometimes in our lives, we don't listen to what God is trying to tell us. And we allow ourselves to just go a little further. We think we can sit on the fence. We think we can have God on Sunday and maybe even on a Wednesday night. But the rest of the time, we live like the world. They live freely and openly and they say there is no consequence for what they're doing. You know, the Bible tells us in Galatians 6, 7 that do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Don't be misled. You're not going to mock God. That's what 
Phineas, and that's what Hophni thought. They thought they could live how they wanted to because they were a title of the priest. They were priests, so they could make the rules. Their dad was the high priest. The nation of Israel thought they had a good luck charm and they could take him off the shelf and use him as they wanted to. And even the Philistines think because they've captured the ark, which is really foolish because we're seeing that right now, that God really isn't captured. But they believe because they own the ark, they've captured the ark, they've captured God. And God is sending something to them to wake them up, to hear his message. So don't you be deceived. Don't you be fooled. Don't you think you can mock God and live how you want to? Because God says that he will not be mocked. What you sow, you're going to reap. And last, I want you to see that Philistines saw this as a hot potato. See, they had an opportunity to repent and turn towards the Lord. But what did they do? We know that they understood by this time that it was from the Lord. Because what do they do? They start playing hot potato. They play the game that kids play. Every time the leaders understood the tumors and what they saw, what they do, they sent it to another city. And we see that God let the plague follow the Ark of the Covenant wherever it set. It was at every city that it set. To the point that the word got out and by the time it got to Ekron, they were saying, well, we don't want it. We don't want this thing. Send it back where it came from. And if they had repented and turned towards the Lord, they could have benefited from the ark. Instead, it became a curse and a judgment to them. And you know what? The same is true today when the presence of God comes to us. We have an opportunity to be a fragrance to God. We can be an aroma that is appeasing to God. And that's what 2 Corinthians 2, 15, 16 says. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and are among those who are perishing. To one an aroma from life to life, to the other the stench of death to death. See, the Bible describes that there's two different types of aroma that ascend towards heaven. The first is a sweet fragrance of those that are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then the second is the unbeliever who won't accept him. And it says that they have the stench of death. You know, I would ask, do you have a stubborn heart? Maybe you're religiously arrogant. Maybe you're boastful. Maybe you're like someone that has the I problem. You keep saying, I do this. I do that. I teach. I go to church every Sunday. I go to church every Wednesday night. But do you know God? There are a lot of people that have an eye problem and they need to get right with God. They're doing all the right things. They are living a religious life, but they have no salvation. They have no relationship. They have religion, but they don't have a relationship. And let me tell you that if you are in that boat, if you're the one that has the aroma, a stench of death, then you are described by Isaiah as a stench in the nostril of the Lord. You're repulsive, you're sickening, you're irritating, but he still loves you. Even though he doesn't like the smell, he still loves you and you're not too far gone. Your stinking irritation in God's nostril doesn't mean that he won't save you. But there's gonna come a day when you will bend a knee and you will say that Jesus is Lord, whether you wanna say it now or then. And today God is knocking on someone's heart and he's telling them, that I want you to come over. I don't want you to be stinky anymore. I want you to be a sweet aroma. I want you to be pleasing to me, the Father. I want you to be a born again child of God. 
I'm willing to bestow my grace and cover everything you've done. I'm willing to wipe the slate clean. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner. Confess me as Lord of your life and let me be Lord of your life. And you will no longer be stinky, but you will be a, a fragrance to God. You will become a child of God. So it really comes down to this. Do you know God? Do you have a relationship with God? Or are you like the Israelites? Are you like the Philistines and you're using God? You have religion, but you don't have a relationship. Today is the day. Will you let him be Lord of your life? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you right now, Lord, and I feel heavy on my heart that you're speaking to someone out there today. Lord, you want them to become a child of Jesus Christ and become a sweet fragrance. You no longer want to smell the stench of death in your nostril. Lord, I pray today would be the day, Lord, that they would turn from whatever it is. And Lord, they would lay it at your feet. They would give it to you. Lord, I pray for those that are listening that are a sweet aroma to you. Lord, that they will be a witness of truth for you. Lord, they will point all glory to you. They will point others to you. That we may one day all come together and worship you at your feet, as the Bible tells us in Revelation. Lord, I pray that we never get so caught up in ourselves. Lord, that we have an eye problem. Lord, that we start looking at ourselves and take our eyes off you. Lord, right now, I ask that if there's one listening that has done that, they've let their eyes get turned towards them, that they would turn it back to you. Lord, we thank you for all this. We give you all the honor and glory. It's in your name we pray. It says, in Jesus' name, amen.